Joining us, glad to have you back once again. This week's show is one that I didn't pursue. This one kind of fell out of the sky for me, which is always fun. I love when I get episode pitches from people. And on this week's show, I have Dr. Gregory Buford, and he is a Colorado board certified plastic surgeon. Now, I don't particularly have strong feelings about plastic surgery one way or the other. You know, I know what I've seen on TV, and usually. They're showing it in the worst possible light. That That's the case with a lot of industries. I mean, I work in PR, and PR people are always like spin people or, you know, publicity whores or whatever. So I'm used to my profession not getting a lot of love when it comes to media. And I would say plastic surgery is kind of the same thing. You think of shows like The Swan or like Nip Tuck, which was one of the most salacious shows ever on FX with just these unscrupulous, terrible people doing horrible things to people in the name of beauty. Now, I knew that wasn't the case. And so I was excited to talk to Dr. Buford about what he does, how he does it, and what really goes into his profession. And I'll be honest with you, I asked him some tough questions. I wanted to ask him about healthcare. I wanted to ask him about focus on aesthetic. And he was more than willing to engage with me on every single issue I put in front of him. He was just a very conscientious, very thoughtful, very caring incredible medical practitioner. And I walked away from the conversation going, you know what, this is a really good dude and a really savvy professional and just a really caring individual. So I was impressed by what he shared with me and his very thoughtful responses to every one of my very pointed questions. So this is a great episode. I mean, we talk about healthcare. We talk about his focus, not only on products and procedures, but on overall wellness for his patients. There's just a ton here, and I'm very pleased with this episode because it's one that I did not seek, and in a lot of ways that made it better because I go, you know, I I don't know him. I don't know this industry very well. Let's get in there, and let's ask some questions. Let's learn something here. I mean, God forbid. That's what we do on this show. I don't always want this show to necessarily to be sort of uh, surface level, just glib chit-chat. You know, there's a lot of outlets for that kind of thing, and... I want this show to be a little more substantive, which brings me, we'll get to Dr. Buford here in a second, but the announcement about episode 100, I put this on Facebook. So if you're not following us on Facebook, please do so. It's facebook.com slash J-O-A-T pod. And on episode 100, the guest is going to be me. That's right. I'm going to get on the other side of the mic and I'm going to let someone ask me some questions because as I just articulated to you on this week's episode, I really sort of dug in deep with Dr. Buford. And I thought, you know what? I owe it to my guests and I owe it to my listeners to be willing to do what I've done to so many others. So I've contacted Simon Lomax. Simon Lomax was a guest on episode 18. He's a former journalist. He's a current advocate. You may remember that. That was the July 4th episode last, no, not last year, two years ago. Because he's a current U.S. citizen. He was born in Australia, but he went through the naturalization process. He is a full U.S. citizen now. I know him professionally, and I know he's going to ask me tough questions. He's going to ask me good questions. He's going to really get to the heart of what this show is, who I am, and I figured I owed that to you. 
So I hope you enjoy it. I think it's going to be a terrific episode. I'm turning the tables, and I'll fully admit to ripping this off from WTF. I think it was either Mark Marin's 100th or 200th episode where he had Mike Birbiglia interview him. And I just got a lot out of that. I knew I wanted to do that for the 100th. And Simon Lomax has agreed to be the interviewer. So look forward to that. That's coming up in two weeks. Additionally, just a programming note, only the most recent 100 episodes are on iTunes. So if you download there and you want to go back and dig into the archives, you can get the most recent 100, but a couple of them are starting to fall off. You'll get one fewer episode now because iTunes only holds my most recent 100. If you want to find them, go to johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. Every single episode is housed there. I also like to give plugs to other Denver podcasts. And one I've been touching on lately is Changing Denver. Paul Caroli is the host of Changing Denver. And here's a little bit about his show right now. Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. Paul's a great dude. Be sure to give him some love. It's a great show. Now let's get to this week's episode. Dr. Gregory Buford, Colorado board-certified plastic surgeon, is the guest on episode 98 of the John of All Trades podcast. And that episode begins right now. I've got a great trainer. I use uh, free weights. I use a. Uh, I used a lot of TRX, so a lot right. of Navy SEAL workout. It's. Uh, it, I come out feeling a lot older than I uh, came in feeling. That's but, for sure. Uh, <laughs> sort of contradictory. You look better after you're done, right? Oh, I. I. That's that's how I stay in shape. Yeah. So I eat right. I mean, I. It's that's part of my. Uh, it's part of how my practice is actually very different. Is is I'm a. I'm more of a. a I focus on lifestyle. So I don't just right. focus on, on products and procedures. I focus on, you know, what actually caused changes in these patients. Right. So, so like root changes, like systemic changes, you could call exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, I always, I always say there's no fat fairy. So patients come in, you know, <laughs> for me for uh, body contouring. There's a reason why they have love handles. There's a reason why they have loose skin and so forth. And so, you know, I look at, uh, I look at the whole person. It's this crazy thing that, sure. you know, and in fact, it actually goes into my, uh, my book. I'm launching my book in about, in about a month on yeah, surgical nutrition. called uh, Eat, Drink, Heal, right? Correct. Correct. I noticed on your blog because I, as we set this up, I, you know, I did a little bit of background, read a little bit about you. Uh, it said you are practicing total body wellness. Exactly. Is that accurate? Exactly. Can yeah. you go into what that is philosophically a little bit? Total body wellness actually looks at all aspects of a, of a person's uh, – physiology it looks at it looks at everything from a to z and, and so if for example someone comes in to see me for body contouring or someone comes in to me for facial aging and, and the, the typical person is uh, is female 40 just went through a divorce right is getting back in the dating scene and says you know what i just don't look and feel as as young as i used to you know what can you do and so there's a lot of things i can do i can you know i can talk to them about botox i can talk to them about fillers medical skincare and so forth 
But at the root of it as well, too, I also talked to him about lifestyle. I talked to him about alcohol consumption. I talked to him about uh, their hormones. Um, now, right. I actually don't re- do hormone replacement for women because they're far more complicated than, than sure. us, us guys. <laughs> guys, we have, right. we have a couple buttons and, and dials, and that's, and that's about it. <laughs> so uh, it makes it a lot easier. But I look, at, I look at also nutrition as well, too. And it sounds crazy for a plastic surgeon to be, be right. asking you what you ate for lunch. But what I will say, though, is – you know, I will be uh, I'll be 50 later this year, and I train with with uh, guys that are in their 20s. Most of them are mixed martial arts and uh, wow. you know jujitsu and so forth. And uh, you know, can I keep up with them? For the most part, yes. Nice. And there's a reason, and it's not because I'm any superhuman. It's because right. you know I, I practice what I preach. I try to eat well. I I'm on hormone replacement myself. I've been on it for about five years, and. You know, as someone that's 49 years old, most people don't gather that I'm actually this old. I'm not going to say I look 25, right. but I certainly don't look what I would anticipate someone at 49 to look like. No, I, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. Thank you. Uh, just sitting here. I mean, this is radio, not television, but we'll, uh, we'll grab a photo as soon as we're done. But a couple of things I'm struck by. The first, and obviously we're sitting here with Dr. Gregory Buford, that we're in uh, Beauty by Buford. Correct. You're in your office. With regard to what you said two things kind of stand out to me. One is that, you know, you're a plastic surgeon, so you're not focusing on products and procedures necessarily. Has this philosophy emboldened your business or are you undercutting yourself a little bit? It's totally emboldened it and it's actually grown because I think that being able to be a plastic surgeon in Colorado is is amazing because people here in Colorado are very focused on on lifestyle. They're, the number one uh, question I get asked for sur- surgical patients is not you know what what's the cost of the procedure. It's when can I go back to the gym? When can I run a marathon? When can I do a fitness <laughs> yeah. show? It's you know when can I climb a fourteener? So you know I'm really blessed to work with patients that are extremely motivated, which is very different than patients uh, across the U.S. Really? Um, you know, no disrespect to all my colleagues across the U.S., but bottom line is, you know, my patients are, are far healthier and far more focused on lifestyle factors. So, hmm. you know, in terms of helping or hurting my practice, it's absolutely helped my practice. Okay. I, I think patients, when they come in, they realize that I'm not just going to sell them something, that I'm actually going to uh, help educate them on not only uh, what I can do for them, but for, you know, for the most part, how they got to this point to, to need to see me. And what they can do to actually uh, make these results last and improve over time. Mm. Yeah, that makes good sense. And that's certainly reflective of the online reviews I read of your practice. Thank you. They all said that Dr. Buford didn't do anything, that if if a procedure was lower cost, then uh, he would recommend that. It, and it seemed to be, I mean, really geared towards patient care rather than lining your own pockets, I guess, is one way to say it. Well, I mean, if you think about it, patients are smart. And right. anybody, it's like in any business. If you treat your clients intelligently, they'll treat you intelligently. I wrote a book uh, back in 2010 called Beauty in the Business. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wrote the book is I, I saw a big gap in how we may work with patients. And growing up in the Pacific Northwest, I was around this little uh, – a uh, company called Nordstrom's. You may have heard of it. Uh, I know it a little bit, yeah. A little, little tiny company now, <laughs> right. which has absolutely exploded you know, worldwide. So the, uh, the goal of the company or how it was founded is it was founded on principles of a customer-centric business. If you look at Starbucks, for example, I always, when I speak about social media, I always query the crowd and say, you know, I'd like a show of hands, who buys coffee at Starbucks? And, and when the hands go up, I call them on it because no one buys 
coffee. We don't go to Starbucks to buy coffee. We go to Starbucks to buy an experience. Okay. So it's a big difference. Why? Because when you go to Los Angeles or you go to Des Moines, Iowa, or you go to New York City, they're all the same. You know, you know what you can expect. You're going to walk in. They're going to have this cool music playing. They're going to have these these funky names for coffee. I mean, let's let's get over it. It's it's a fancy, overpriced cup of coffee. Right. But it's just absolutely zooming. It's the growth has been exponential. So you know, I look at companies like uh, Ritz Carlton. Ritz Carlton is another leader in in customer service. Um, You know, when I've stayed at the Ritz Carlton in the past, uh, the customer service has has been exemplary. It's and that's how they they brand themselves. And so, you know, I looked at it and said, well, this is something that we could all learn from because in medical school, none of us are taught this. I would, in fact, right. I was taught that uh, medicine is not a business, which is the biggest nonsense in the world. <laughs> medicine is a business, but you don't have to run it like a profit center. I mean, you okay. want to look at profits, but you want to run it as something that's customer centric. And if you build a good product and take care of your clients, no matter what area that you're in. Your business will grow. Yeah. Your business will grow. That's 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 business one on one. I mean that that makes good sense. I I think especially in today's culture we are. And by the way, I agree with you about Starbucks because if you ever go to Europe, I call Starbucks just satellite American embassies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because I know that I'm going to go in there and you know there will be a bathroom and Wi-Fi and you sort of regroup. If you're an American, you're sort of displaced a little bit. It's a nice spot to regroup. Mm-hmm. But in terms of when you talk about medicine is or is not a business, I think that's actually a conversation that is very, very prominent these days, uh, given our evolving healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my question is, viewing it as a business, is that good as a society? I mean, are we treating wellness as a business? And I mean, are we monetizing our own well-being? And, you know, what what are some of the impacts of that? Well, I, th- I think that you have to look at it, look at the top businesses, for example. Look at look at Zappos. Okay, right. Zappos. Uh, Tony uh, Tony Shea is, is one of the most brilliant people uh, in, in business industry. You know, I read his book a few years ago, um, and I've had several friends that have met him. And he walks the walk, and he wants people that actually have a vision and share that vision of what he wants to do for the company. And he runs a very customer centric business. Right. So what I always say is, what's wrong with making good money? doing exactly what you like to do mm-hmm. and offering benefits to everyone around you, to offering benefits to your to your customers, your, your clients. And I, and I see my patients as clients. Sure. And I provide them an experience. And so I'm not taking advantage of them. Right. You know, this is not me being greedy and, and saying, you know, I hope I can charge the most. Um, if you talk to most of my patients, you know, I have a saying, I'm not afraid to spend, to spend your money, but I'm going to spend it wisely. Yeah. So I turn patients down all the time for procedures that they want because I tell them, that procedure is going to cost you a lot of money, and it's not going to give you the return on investment that you want. Well, ROI is not something that's usually discussed in a, in a medical practice. No, but, that's a good point. You know, it, I think that you're, you're absolutely right, is that the, uh, the, the feeling among a lot of uh, people within the U.S. is that, you know, us as surgeons, as physicians, that we're a bunch of greedy, you know, you can insert the next word. Right. Um, but hey, we're we're not I, we're not governed by the FCC. This is the internet. Exactly. So, so I mean, I'll say it, greedy bastards, and we're not, and we're not. You know, it, what I will say is, I went to school. I trained far more than any other profession. I would challenge anyone find a profession sure. where you get out and you're in your mid to late thirties. I mean, that's ridiculous. How right. much school I went to. I came out with student loans, and and the bottom line is, I have a mortgage. I have uh, people that rely on me to, uh, to to help them financially. 
and I support a staff. Am I, you know, so I have to look at the overhead. Absolutely. And, and that makes perfect sense to me. What's interesting, though, is in this particular field of medicine, um, you're, you're largely outside the insurance system. Is that accurate? I'm completely outside the insurance system. Right. And so I, I think some of the concern is if, if someone is dealing with cancer, then that's probably not the appropriate place to monetize our health. I would agree. I would agree. But you know what I would say, though, as well, too, though, is, is if you look at how medicine has changed, um, websites, for example, uh, if you look 10, 15 years back, pediatricians, orthopedic surgeons, so forth, didn't have websites. Why? Because people right. were sick and they came into them and they didn't need them. You hang your shingle, they'll come, right? Right. Well, guess what? Everything has changed now. And now we're looking at concierge medicine as well, too, which the, the AMA uh, was very against initially. And I completely 100% disagree with the AMA on this stance. Why not offer people a different form of health care? You know, it's, it's if you want to pay a little bit more and you want to not wait in lines, because I can tell you that is where we're heading. You know, all this talk about a one-payer system and all this stuff with, with – I won't get into politics right, right now. Yeah. But I can tell you we're heading down a vain, very dangerous path. Everybody wants something for free, and they want it cheap. Well, guess what? You get what you pay for, mm-hmm. and this system is heading for a serious crash. Now, that being said, and I'm not a – you know, I'm not the smartest guy in healthcare policy, but what I will say is if you look at where the healthcare dollars are being spent, it's not to pay physicians and nurses. Yeah, guess where, no, guess where the big money is being spent? Look at the salaries of the people, the administrators. If you really want to be upset at someone, look at the administration. Don't, don't look at the physicians. Right. Look at the administrators. And look at the fact that most physicians uh, right now are suffering from extraordinary levels of burnout. And this oh, yeah. has become a very hot topic. Um, there's a significant amount of uh, alcohol and drug abuse, unfortunately, among, the, among physicians and nurses. There's uh, a significant rate of suicide. I mean, this is really – it's becoming a real it's problem. It's no joke, yeah. You know, and it, it's funny you mentioned that because my mother-in-law actually worked as a registrar at uh, Anschutz School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. And she saw, you know, what these kids were going through. And it, she said we're heading for a real crisis in terms of general practitioners because you come out with these just obscene loans oh, yeah. that, that you have to pay back. And as a GP, you don't make that much. Yeah. I mean, at least by comparison. And I, I mean, I'm struck by something else. One other thing, uh, another segment that's sort of outside the insurance system is LASIK. Mm-hmm. And I've had LASIK. And over the last 20 years, the cost of that has gone down dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I'd call that a free market success. Absolutely. Now, what you're describing, you know, I, I think the concern is if you can afford good care, then you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. What does everyone else do? You know, so I, I guess the question I'd have for you is if you could design a system from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, that's not a hard question. <laughs> yeah, not at all loaded. And, I, I mean, feel free to tackle any portion of that you want. I, you know, obviously I, we're sort of talking off the cuff here. Yeah. But if, if there were a way where we could sort of ensure good health care for people mm-hmm. without having some, call them class implications, yeah. how, how might you do that? I'm, I may turf on that one, that question, just because yeah. that's that's probably one of the hardest things. If you look at it, uh, no uh, administration has even been able to figure that one out right, yet. Of course. I, I mean, I think really what you have to look at is um, there has to be a safety net. I mean, I'm not, you know, sure. I'm not, a, you know, an unscrupulous 
provider. I'm not. I'm not right. saying that you know to heck with all the other people. You know. Yeah, or like some wingnut libertarian. You know, no, where, where no. Like, I mean, let's privatize there, there, fire departments too. Yeah, I mean, there has to, there has to be. But what I what I would also say as well too is there also has to be this thing called it's a crazy term called personal responsibility. Get okay, out of here. right. And what I'll tell you, just what pisses me off more than anything, I, I saw something the other day on on Twitter. And it was uh, a woman who was ranting and raving that she said, how dare my physician? I went in to see my physician, and he, and he said I was fat and need to lose weight. Well, guess what, sweetheart? You probably are fat and need to lose weight. Right. And so if we're trained as physicians and we have to be so politically correct, which is absolute nonsense, yeah. you know, I'm not going to – what am I going to say? I'm sorry you're too fluffy? No, your BMI – if your BMI is high, right. okay, and you're having trouble walking up the stairs, guess what? You're fat. And you need to change your life. And I can tell you, in that sense, I walk the walk. You know, I uh, a few years ago, I'll tell you, I wasn't the most in shape guy. I was probably uh, probably not eating the right foods. I was uh, working way too hard. I was stressed out to the max. I was doing this, doing that. I mean, making all these just uh, these negative decisions for my health. And I looked in the mirror, and I'm like, wow. You know, I'm 45 years old. This is not heading the right direction. And uh, what did I do? Well, and, and granted, I, you know, have the, the financial position where I can afford to do some of this stuff. So I'm not trying, you know, I understand it's not something that's within everyone's uh, wherewithal. But I changed. I changed. I dramatically cut down on, on alcohol I was drinking. I changed the way I ate. I started preparing my foods. This crazy thing of, you know, cutting out fast food crap. Right. Um, garbage in, garbage out, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, it always cracks me up when people say, I don't know why I feel so bad. What was your breakfast? Uh, McDonald's. Well, guess what? You ever see what happens to McDonald's burgers when they sit for about two years? Nothing because they're not food. <laughs> it's crap. So – I do think personal responsibility is a big issue. And, you know, the problem is nowadays, though, there's a lot of finger pointing. And yeah. it's, you know, it's not my fault. It's the, you know, I always hear this. It's so expensive to eat healthy and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's such crap, too. It's total crap. Because, I, I mean, starting in 2012, I went, I, I started losing, and I ended up losing 40 pounds. Good for you. By eating better. And Isn't again, that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, eating less and eating better and moving my body more. Exactly. There's really, there's no magic trick to it. Exactly. Um, When you tell me the story about a woman getting upset that her doctor called her fat, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you can't have a hard, honest conversation with your physician, who can you have it with? Totally agree 100%. I mean, and I'll tell you one thing, I, uh, my fiance and I cook a tremendous amount. And yeah. we, uh, when I say cook, I mean, they're basic meals. We get good, this, this crazy thing called, we eat a lot of raw vegetables. Uh, mm-hmm. and we cook a lot of them as well too, but you know, basic, basic things, good, good, healthy proteins. Um, you know, we like our bottle of wine here and there and sure. so forth. That's our Achilles heel, so to speak. But, Wine's um, craft beer. I mean, that, there you go. It's, it's the scene here in you got to you got to have it. You know, I I always I always tell my patients life's too short. If you want to go out and have a b- big piece of of, you know, fattening cheesecake, do it. You know, you yeah. may get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know. <laughs> right. right? I mean, <laughs> right. life's way too short, but just don't do it every day. Yeah. But it's it's amazing to me when I talk to people. They think I'm some some, you know, food freak because right. I I literally cook all my meals. I don't can't remember the last time I ate anything out of a box. But it's amazing because you feel completely differently. You know, I, I, I a couple of years ago trained for a uh, a uh, fitness competition. I was I went into a men's physique competition and at the I don't know I think it was like forty five forty six, 
took first place, and I took third place nice. overall in the entire competition. And the only reason I said is I got out there, and my goal was just not to look like an idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Not embarrass I, yourself, right? I, exactly. I was, my goal was like, I hope I don't get laughed at. And I walked away with first place with the master's division. And so, nice. you know, why I say that is to, to prep for that, I had to dramatically change the way I ate. Now, I'm not going to say how I ate is something that was sustainable because it was really regimented. Yeah. But what I brought away from that, though, is the power of food. And I can tell you, I've never had uh, better, uh, I was going to say vision. Not, that's not really the, the term, but my mind's never been clear. And sure. I've never slept better. And it's amazing when you eat really, really well. The downside of it is when you when you cheat, you feel like crap. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, for instance, yesterday or last, you know, this weekend, we recorded this right after Father's Day. We were out at the pool having some beers. And this yep. morning I woke up and I'm just so sluggish and just yep. not feeling well at all. So right. I totally relate to that. And what's funny is after... And, and what you're talking about is if you want to go eat that big piece of cheesecake, you can do it. Yeah. But at, if you look at the balance of a day or a week or a month or a year, you want the balance to be like far in the column of good decisions mm -hmm. versus bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And as long as that balance stays correct, you're probably going to be doing okay and moving in the right direction. Is that accurate? I, I agree 100%. You know, and I think there there actually is a groundswell of, of people that, that are moving in the right direction. I want to get a big shout-out to a, a guy in L.A., Ron Finley. Um, he calls himself the Gorilla Gardener. Okay. Um, gentleman lives East L.A. I, I can't remember if it's, if it's Compton or what have you. Wow. These are not good neighborhoods. So what he did, Ron went out there and said, hey, you know what? People in my neighborhood are not getting. We're basically in a, what we call a food island, essentially oh, yeah, food desert. Food desert, yeah. yeah and so there was, yeah. there was, there was. You know, he showed pictures. Uh, he, he actually gave a really enlightening TED talk, and he showed what was available. And they can't eat. They, they're eating crap. And you wonder yeah. why. You know, everyone's obese. They, you know, there, there's there's not good health. So what he did, he did this crazy thing. He went out in front of his house. He tore up that you know the, the little strip of grass in the front that looked like yeah. crap anyway. And he planted vegetables. Well, the city said, you can't do that. That's, 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 uh, that's not right. You can't do it. He said, stop me. <laughs> right. And he called the mayor. And guess what the mayor said? Dude, you rock. He said, you know what? This is a brilliant idea. So now this guy, and I encourage everyone, check out his work. I mean, this guy basically is, he's a no bullshit guy. He basically said, look, you know what? I'm not giving handouts. He goes, he's not all about handouts at all. Yeah. He teaches everyone in the neighborhood how to do this in vacant lots and in areas they grow. And, in fact, actually the question was posed, and they said, well, you know, you're growing these vegetables out there, and there's no security. What happens if kids come by and they steal the vegetables? He's like, are you kidding me? He goes, I hope they do. <laughs> then right? the kid's eating a vegetable. Right? I mean, they otherwise might be eating a you know, awesome. bag of Doritos or that's something. That's awesome. So, yeah, so I, I think, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that are changing. You know, in my new book, Eat, Drink, Heal, I talk about uh, the fact that when I was doing research for it, out of the top 10 medical schools, as listed by U.S. News World Report, only six of them had any semblance of nutritional training. Weird. Only six. And it's, it's pathetic. But the ones that are doing it right, big shout-out to Tulane. Tulane, the Gold Ring Culinary Institute, which they basically founded to work with medical students to teach them this crazy thing called nutrition <laughs> and how they, you know, how they can pass along this information to their, to their, uh, their, their patients. Uh, Harvard University partnered with the Culinary Institute in Napa Valley to teach physicians how to prepare healthy meals. The University of Ohio, University of Chicago uh, are but a few of the examples. And it's and it's really uh, – it's changing things. So I would like to think that in the future, 
we're going to be looking at outcomes based on a number of things, but we also are going to be, are going to be holding patients responsible for eating well because this old excuse of well i didn't know about nutrition are you out of do you live out in some galaxy you know no one actually thinks mcdonald's is good for you i don't care what nonsense they put out there about you know this is what is contained in it and so forth it's crap it's absolute utter crap or like when the cheesecake factory like backs up a flatbed truck full of fries on your on your (laughs) plate i mean like in terms of they're they're one of the worst, actually. Oh, God, Cheesecake yeah. Factory. If you look at the caloric content, and it's the crap, unreal. It is just it's crap. Getting back to something you said initially was when you talk about your patient profile. Typically, you know, let's say a woman comes in, she's in her forties, she's divorced, and she says, you know, I'm not looking as young as I used to. Mm-hmm. That is kind of an aesthetic question, mm-hmm. but your practice seems more geared towards outcomes rather than 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 the aesthetic. Is that accurate? Uh, yes and no. Actually, I, I'm obviously very interested in the aesthetics because if, sure. if I don't have good aesthetics, then I'm not going to have any patients. <laughs> right. You know, all my I always say my uh, each patient is a walking billboard for me. So, right. But it, but it's like aesthetics that that facilitate you know so, some deeper motivation than than just pure aesthetic. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think. Um, well, here's the thing. You can have – there's a lot of people that walk around skinny fat. That's the new thing, skinny okay, fat. Right. And these are the these are the mostly women that walk around, you know, showcasing how skinny they are and so forth. Well, lean muscle mass is next to zero, and, they're, and they're, they've got all this fat around their organs. They're, they're unhealthy as can be because they don't – they eat like crap, but they just starve themselves. That is not health. Mm. And you lose the inner glow. And I can tell you, if you, if you see someone that's on hormone replacement – that's eating uh, eating good nutrition, good proper nutrition, exercising, and I'm not saying exercising seven days a week. You know, it's you don't have to go crazy. It could be just walking your dog every day. I mean, yeah. little things. You know, taking the stairs. I mean, it, it always cracks me up when I go to the gym and I see someone taking the elevator up one <laughs> stair. I'm like, seriously, you're at the gym and you're taking the elevator? Are you out of your mind? Right. You know. So it's, you know, I think to your question, what I'm looking for is is I'm creating synergy. You know, I'm not just getting, you know, one plus one equals three here. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is my patients tend to have that inner glow. And I think that what I'm trying to provide them is value-added services. So when they come in and I talk to them about Botox, you know, if their skin doesn't glow, then I'm going to say, you know, what is it you're eating? Tell me about your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Are you, are you working out and so forth? All those things make a difference. Your skin is actually the largest largest organ in your body. Right. So, you know, if you're eating like crap, well, guess what? Your skin's going to look like crap. And it's amazing when I talk to patients about, you know, their health, a lot of them are very confused about proper nutrition. And this is this is Colorado. I mean, this is this is kind of the home of, you know, of of health, so to speak. We're One supposed of the to be healthiest states in the nation, right? Exactly. But the problem is people go on the internet, and God bless the internet. I love it. I mean, it's easy, you know, instant access to information. The problem is trying to ascertain what is actually valid information. These people are drinking through a fire hose. They're getting right, this yeah. ridiculous amount of information. They don't know what's accurate. I, I always get asked, you know, should I be on the paleo diet or should I be on the Mediterranean diet? I'm like, first of all, there's, there's so much nonsense out there about it because we're all individual. We're all individual, and what may work for me may not work for you. And what I tell patients is, you know, start with the basics. This crazy thing, you know, your mother used to say, you know, eat your vegetables. Yeah, yeah eat your freaking vegetables, right? <laughs> you know, but also eat your protein as well too, and eat your fat. 
because fat is not bad for you. The right fat is actually very good for you. Again, it's it's uh, it, it, interesting times. Very interesting times. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, another thing that's that's sort of interesting to me about this, getting back to the aesthetic, mm-hmm. is there's a story on your blog about a man who had breast reduction surgery. Mm-hmm. Can you go into that a little bit and and what the, this sort of aesthetic thing that that you might think would be kind of inconsequential? Yeah, how that affected his life and and what you did for him. That's a, that's actually a great question. Um, I saw this gentleman about a decade ago. Um, it was when I was I've been practicing for about fifteen years, so you know I was out a couple years. Uh, he was from out of state. He was a mail carrier. Came in and you know very shy. Uh, he had what is called gynecomastia, which is male breast development, and it can develop for a number of reasons. Usually it's an imbalance of hormones, a little too much estrogen or too low testosterone. Um can be also from steroids, from a number of different right. things. So kind of a weird question. Uh, did you see Fight Club? Yeah. Was it like Meatloaf's character? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Pretty Bob. much. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. actually a good, uh, good reference. Okay. So this guy came in just real. I mean, he wouldn't take his shirt off, um, you know, at the pool. I mean, it really affects these guys. I mean, yeah. and, and the sad thing is, you know, most of these guys are, are afraid to talk about it. They want to hide it. And so they never get the help and they don't realize that it, simple operation can change their life. So this guy came in. Um, basically what I did is I did liposuction to remove some of the fat, did some chest wall contouring. Um, I, uh, made a little incision around the uh, areola and, and removed directly the breast tissue underneath. Cause we all have breast tissue, man, right. men and women. And this guy, I can tell you when he came back for his post-op, first of all, he came in to, to see me, and he was the shyest guy in the world, head down, never really made eye contact, so forth. Right. Kind of slumped over. That oh, kind of thing? slumped over. Yeah. Was very, you know, very kind of kind of uh, uh, introverted. Yeah. First post, I becomes in an, in this bright bright ass Hawaiian shirt that I would never wear in my life. <laughs> right. And he is just. I mean, he came out. I mean, he came out of his shell. Literally, was just, just said, you know, Doctor B, you changed my life. I mean. I can tell you those are the moments when it really makes what you do worthwhile. Absolutely. Is is that is that one of the challenges for you? Do you I mean, do you almost have to do a little psychoanalysis with your patients and Oh, you absolutely have to. and get to the motivation? Absolutely. Actually, uh, another good question and I always ask my patients, so I, you know, why are you doing this and why are you doing this now? And right. and that's a good question because you know, it, you really need to know the motivation. There's something in our field called body dysmorphic disorder, BDD. Yeah. And what it is 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 when we – and I think we all honestly have a little bit of it. Sure. You know, I, my uh, fiancé laughs at me all the time because I, th- I think that, you know, I have, I, I'm getting kind of, you know, fluffy, whatever, mm-hmm. from uh, eating eating too well sometimes. Right. And she looks at me and she, she thinks I'm an idiot, you know. So she's like, right. no, actually you see yourself differently. We actually all see ourselves a little bit differently. But some people see themselves differently in a, in a sense that's, that's far outside the boundaries of a normal range. So they'll see little defects and they will just see them as huge. It's kind of like if you think about when you were a child, you know, acne. I had acne as a, as a kid growing yeah, up. So and, you know, you get that one pimple and you think, oh, my God, I can't go to school because everybody is looking at it. Well, guess what? Nobody cares about anybody but themselves. Right. I mean, it's so funny. I heard that a couple of years ago. Someone told their daughter that. They said, sweetheart, you know what? Everybody is so self-absorbed. They're looking at themselves. And it's right. true. So they really aren't looking at you. I mean, but we think that some of our faults are so much bigger. So, yes, absolutely. You uh, Being a plastic surgeon, you have to be a part-time psychiatrist, psychologist 
and really determine, you know, why someone is doing something. Because in reality, I can change the external appearance and I can change the internal health, but I can't change the psyche. Yeah. And if you come in with a messed up psyche and you think that getting larger breasts or uh, fat sucked out of your love handles is going to make you more popular, yeah, it might. But is it going to make you more charming and so forth? Right. Probably not. If you're an asshole before, you're going to be an asshole right. afterwards. So you know, before I lost weight, I was hard on myself. After I lost weight, I was still hard on myself. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that you're right. That's the one thing that can't change. So if someone doesn't have and I hesitate to call it this, but like good motivation or proper mm -hmm. motivation, yeah. do you turn them down? Absolutely. And absolutely. Is the fear though that they're going to go somewhere else? No. I, I'd rather they go to someone else. Okay. I always say, you know. But I mean, in terms of just worrying about the patient, you know, because you obviously want to do no harm and, and sure. you're, you're not going to do it, but someone else who is a little less scrupulous might. I mean, that's. Give you a good example. Look at Michael Jackson. Yeah. Okay, I mean, look yeah. at Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson was, was a extremely good looking uh, man. He really was. Yeah. Great looking. And then he became a space alien. He wasn't sure if he right. was black, if he was white, if he was male or female. He became, you know, uh, he became uh, gender nonspecific, race nonspecific. Right. And he had that weird android nose. It was bizarre. And the problem is he was his nose was collapsing. And I'll, and I'll yeah. tell you what, shame on the plastic surgeon hmm. who operated on him because one of the hardest uh, words to say in plastic surgery, and I was taught this by one of my mentors uh, in medical school, is the word no. Yeah. And you have to say no. Now, are these patients going to go and seek help elsewhere? Of course they are. And I can't stop that. Right. You know, they're going to shop around. Uh, you know, good example. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dodie West, Kanye West's mom. Mm. Okay. And I mean this out of respect. She shopped around plastic surgeons. She had a number of them turn her down and said that you are not fit for surgery. You're not you a were, good candidate. You're not a good candidate. She found the one that said, oh, sure, I'll do it. And unfortunately, she paid the ultimate price. Jeez. And so, you know, I don't say that to to uh, be negative towards her, but as plastic surgeons or as physicians in general, we have to be able to say no. We have to be yeah. able to say, you know what, you're not a good candidate. And I would rather have my patient be upset with me. But you know what's amazing? I have had patients where they've come back for other procedures, and you know what they always say? I was really kind of pissed off at you initially, and you know you wouldn't do this procedure for me. But then I realized, if you were an asshole, you would do whatever I wanted to do, <laughs> right. right, and take my money. But instead, you actually had the class to say no. Yeah. And I think that I think that you know if you if you treat your patients like you know you'd like your family members to be to be treated, they get that. They understand that you're not trying to take advantage of them. Right, and sometimes we all need help understanding what's not in our own best interest. It can create a challenge industry-wide, though, because, I mean, I, I – and I say this from experience. I work in the oil and gas industry pretty extensively. Mm -hmm. You're only always as good as your worst operator yeah. because no matter how scrupulous, scrupulous you are and get along with your landowners or, in your case, patients, mm -hmm. there's always going to be some dick out there just messing it up for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, there, there's really not a lot you can do about that. Yeah, you're only as good as your weakest link. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's very tough. So I, I'm curious – what propelled you to, number one, study medicine to begin with? Because mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated by people who are willing to go through that amount of school. Because I was good at school, but I, I got my bachelor's and I got my master's in communication. I go, that's enough school for me. It's a lot more for mm -hmm. what you do. So what drove you to get into medicine? And then how did plastic surgery come to be your calling? 
Uh, I think I it was temporary insanity for that, that lasted for about for about twenty some odd years during my training. Um, but <laughs> okay. no, in, in all seriousness, um, the the story goes when I was at age four, my parents tell me that uh, I told them to call me Doctor Bill. I would refer to me as Doctor Bill. Where I came up with that, I have no <laughs> idea. I've had no family members that have been doctors. I don't okay. know a Doctor <laughs> Bill. So suddenly, I told them at age four, I was me become a doctor, and guess what? I did. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I never wanted to be a surgeon. My father was scream- squeamish at the sight of blood. We could never pull a tooth out. He'd probably pass out. Wow. And I was the same way. I still don't really like it. my blood drawn, to be honest. Huh. But what happened is when I went into surgery, something magical happened. And if you think about someone that's a car guy, for example, what's the first thing they do? They look under the hood, yeah, right? They want to see what the engine looks like. Well, guess what a surgeon does? They look under your hood. They go internal. And so I was absolutely just blown away by how intricate and how amazing the human body is. I mean, if you understand all the processes that are going on, it would blow you. I, I'm, I'm amazed that we even wake up. I mean, all <laughs> yeah. these processes are going on, you know, from a from a larger standpoint, from the organs all the way down to the tiny little organelles like the mitochondria that basically are the, the furnaces of our body. Wow. It's incredible how complicated everything is. So, you know, I am, I'm amazed by it. Again, the intricacy. Now, why I went into plastic surgery, um, I have a background I, uh, at University of California, San Diego, graduated with a degree in uh, literature and writing, which is essentially an English English major. Yep. And I've always liked the arts. Uh, I do a lot of photography. Um, I collect art. Um, you can see that throughout my office. I mean, I'm, I'm very much into art. So this is a perfect extension for me because... Oh, interesting, yeah. You know, and you, if you look at it, I, I look at art every day. I just look at the art of flesh. And I look at, hmm. you know, I look at everyone as, as a, essentially as a canvas. And I look at the first thing I try to appreciate is this was actually a comment made by a fellow plastic surgeon. So this is not my original comment, but it's something that I really, really uh, identified with is he said every time he looks at a patient, he tries to find one thing that's unique and one thing that makes them beautiful. Because no matter how, how unbeautiful someone thinks they are, they are. Uh, Ralph Millard, who was the uh, uh, who who created the uh, the the uh, uh, cleft lip repair, you know, yeah. always said that uh, God gave cleft lip babies the most beautiful eyes, huh. and it's and it's true. If you look at these cleft lip kids, they have the most beautiful eyes. Yeah, so it, they have a deficiency in one aspect, but they have something tremendously beautiful in another. Yeah. Um, and that that's always stuck with me, and I and I think that's absolutely right. You don't. You know, when I when I hear about people wanting to look like Kim Kardashian, God forbid, or, you know, Chloe or all those people or movie stars, don't look like a movie star. Look like the best representation of right. yourself because we're all unique. Well, it's yeah, I mean, I think back MTV had a show called I Want a Famous Face. Yep. And uh, I mean, that show to me was just it was grotesque in terms of, you know, the, these poor people like I really want to look like Brad Pitt. And it's like, why? Exactly. <laughs> what the hell for? Yeah. And I... I was almost embarrassed that that was on TV for mm-hmm. for all the people involved. Number one, I just I felt heartbroken for these people who so desperately wanted to look like not themselves. And then secondly, these physicians who were willing to indulge that. I go, oh come on. I, I think it's disgusting. I mean, if you look at it, that's that's BDD in its in its highest form. It really right. is. Um, you know, it's it's really sad. I mean, there's and there's nothing wrong with appreciating the attributes of of someone. Oh, absolutely uh, not. You know, Sophia Loren, her cheeks 
gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. You know, Raquel Welch. If you look at uh, who is the actress, one of my favorite actresses is actually Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, uh, Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. I mean, Audrey Hepburn's neck is, is just gorgeous. It's exquisite. I mean, she's beautiful. So there's nothing wrong with, with appreciating the attributes of someone else, but actually wanting to adopt that and become them. Yeah. I mean, there's the, you know, the Ken doll uh in in la who i actually had the opportunity to meet him uh this last year at a, at a meeting and he's actually a very nice guy but you know i actually i actually feel for a lot of these people because you know don't become someone else i mean everybody is unique everybody has something that they can offer the world yeah. um you know i can tell you i think i've done a little bit with my life and i was a geeky uh you know four-eyed kid with acne and uh you know wavy hair as a kid well i, I think i've done a little something with my life Everybody can, but Absolutely. the most important thing is to identify what it is about you that's unique and and utilize that and grow that. You know, it's so funny hearing you talk about this because it mirrors a part of my business. What I do is presentation training for mm-hmm. people. I'll get them ready to speak in front of a group or every, everything up to and including the CBS Evening News with Scott Pelley. Mm-hmm. So we'll get them ready for these various venues. And what I always tell them is – I don't have a template that I want to stamp on you. Like, I don't have a cookie-cutter best speaker. There, there are some great speakers, and you can point to any number of them for mm-hmm. any number of reasons. But my goal here is to help the best version of you emerge. Exactly. You, you are going to be unique in the way that you present your ideas and your thoughts, and I can't give you that. Mm-hmm. All I can do, I'm just the guide that helps it come out. Exactly. And I, I was struck by, I met a, um, a non-native English speaker who was a potential client a couple of weeks ago. And he's very self-conscious about that. He, he worries that he's not picking the right word or he's going to be misunderstood or he's just having a hard time getting it out. And I said, you have no idea how much of a strength that is mm-hmm. because it makes your listeners lean in. Exactly. And people listen to you um, in a way that, you know, we're, we're speaking conversely and are you know, in, in our native tongue, you can tune in and out if you choose to exactly, and still get the context. But if you don't speak English, mm-hmm. you're going to lean in hard because you, I mean, that's all part of empathy. Yeah. And what you're describing is helping the best version of people emerge in your way. Exactly. Well, I think, you know, if you look at artists, for example, who are the greatest artists in the world, in the world, the ones that broke the rules, yeah, the ones right. that broke the mold. Okay. They weren't the ones that painted just like everybody else did. They're the ones that made a statement. So I, I think that if you look at individuality, I'm, I'm a firm believer in individuality. I don't want to look like everybody else. No, um, you know, I want to have something they can say, you know what, this is what Buford looks like. This is who I think he is. I, I want to be remembered. Um, I want to leave a legacy. And I want people to remember me as an individual, not just, you know, number one, four, five, two, eight, or what have you. Right, you know? sure. Given your history mm-hmm. here in, in this business, you said you've been doing it for about 15 years? About 15 years, yeah. So... How has it changed since when you started versus now in terms of either the technology or the, you know, the aesthetics, the types of procedures that get done? How how has the business evolved in that time? Uh, that's a that's a broad question. That's a, that's a whole that's a whole new interview. Okay. Um, <laughs> how I would, but it's a great question though. What I would say is it's evolved in some very positive ways and some very negative ways. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll talk about the negative ways first. The negative ways uh, is that. Plastic surgery has become very commoditized, um, and okay. I think there's there's a feeling that you know if I can get my Botox done with with this guy for you know for two dollars less a unit or what have you or do fillers, 
it's fine. That's absolute utter nonsense. The only thing, the only commodity that you should you should not worry about is toilet paper. Because guess what? It doesn't matter where you buy it. You're wiping the same area. Okay, right? Okay. right? But procedures, though, you get what you pay for. And I always tell people, you know, they'll come in and say, well, you know, so and so down the road will do it cheaper. I say, well, you know, be my guest. And then when then when you need it fixed, come on back, and I'll be happy <laughs> to fix it for you for twice the cost. You know, and, and, it, and it's really as you get what you pay for. And I do a lot of uh, secondary breast revision. So unfortunately, I see a lot of people that will tell me, yeah, I went to so-and-so because he was a lot cheaper. I'm like, well, what do you think? <laughs> well, there's a reason why he was a lot cheaper. Yeah, you're not going to go to a cut rate mechanic. That's exactly right. I mean, exactly right. Lord. Yeah, it just it, – it's it really, really infuriates me because it's uh, – you know, I've had patients try to negotiate with them. I just tell them, these are my prices. You know, these, these are my prices. You wouldn't, you wouldn't walk into Nordstrom's and say, you know, I really like this button-down shirt. You know, can I get it for $10 off? They're going to look at you and go, yeah, during the Nordstrom's half-yearly sale, sure, but yeah. today, no. So I, I think commoditization um, is something negative. I think the second thing that we already touched on – is using plastic surgery for uh, uh, nefarious means, so to speak. And that's maybe the wrong term, but using it to look like someone else or using it for to uh, satisfy your own you know, body dysmorphic disorder is not the right you know, reason. Yeah. Now, the positive thing, though, is I think that as plastic surgeons, um, you know, I'll speak to, for example, fillers. We are so far beyond where we were 10, 15 years ago with respect to really giving natural results. Mm. Uh, and if you want to see an example of that, look at um, look at all the Hollywood actresses, okay, um, that had no expression that were that were trying trying right. to show emotion. You know, they're they're talking about a or or the newscaster. And I've seen this where you have a newscaster talking about a horrible accident, and their forehead doesn't move, and nothing right. moves, and you're, and you're thinking. You look like an idiot. They I look mean, like a Stepford wife. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it looks so, so bad. So we really, uh, having served on a number of uh, very high-level advisory boards across the, across the U.S. And, and actually some outside the U.S., um, I've been able to interact with some of the, some of the most brilliant minds in, in cosmetic surgery. And I, and I say not just plastic surgery because I work with you know, dermatologists, facial plastic surgeons, oculoplastic, and so forth. And having the ability to interact with these people and see where the future of medicine is heading or aesthetic medicine, it's brilliant. And we're nice. really so much smarter. I'm using a device. In fact, uh, when we're done with this, I'm I'm actually uh, holding a training for a new device called Thermi. And it's a okay. heat-based device for skin tightening, uh, removal of fat. It accomplishes so many things that we've been waiting for for years. And now I have the opportunity to actually be a national training center and be able to show other uh, practitioners, other physicians – how to use it, you know, we're doing an actual patient demonstration. Um, so I think it's, uh, the future is very bright, but it's like fire, okay? Right. Fire in the right hands is, is powerful and positive. In the wrong hands, it's deadly. Yeah. And it's the same thing with plastic surgery. Are you seeing an influx of people getting more interested in plastic surgery because it does exist outside this whole insurance rigmarole? I think patients actually. Uh, I think it has. Uh, and I don't mean patients. I mean. Oh, you like, mean uh, practitioners? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, and and that's a that's another big topic. Beware the quote cosmetic surgeon. Um, okay. Cosmetic surgeons are basically uh, practicing quote plastic surgery. A plastic surgeon is a plastic surgeon is a plastic surgeon. Okay. okay. To be a plastic surgeon, you actually have to go through plastic surgery training. Yeah. You can't do a weekend course. You can't look over someone's shoulder. You've got to do the training. It's this crazy thing called. Training, okay? Yeah, I'd love right. to be an astronaut, but just because I watch a bunch of space movies doesn't make me an astronaut. So 
what's what's really uh, uh, growing nowadays is uh, a large group of people that have very little training in what I do on a daily basis, but offered at cut rate prices. Oh and yuck! That sounds horrible. It's it is, and you see the disasters out there, and you see, you know, I post this information actually on my social media. Because I want people to be to be aware of of what's out there. Always ask the hard questions. Never yeah. go on price point alone. You know, ask someone what is your board certification in. If they say cosmetic surgery, first of all, there is no no board certification. That's a, that's a that's a rogue board. It doesn't exist. Okay. It exists outside of the American Board of Medical Specialties (ABMS). So, are there some guys that are not plastic surgeons that can do what we do? I hate to admit it, probably. Probably, but it's hard to know which ones. I'm screened by, you know, the American yeah. Board of Plastic Surgery. I, I'm board certified. I recertified a couple of years ago. I do every ten years, right. and I jump through a number of hoops to show them that I'm safe and that I'm well educated in this area. There have been a number of disasters where people have, have not only had bad complications, but they've died. And so yeah, this do-it-yourself plastic surgery stuff is is it's not only uh, worrisome; it's it can be outright deadly. Yeah, I, that's absolutely terrifying. And it, it reminds me of an episode I did, I got like two years ago at this point. But I talked to a registered dietitian, mm -hmm. and she talked about one of her struggles constantly is people confuse registered dietitian mm -hmm. where you have to go through certification mm -hmm. and you have to pass a test and that kind of thing versus nutritionists. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I could call myself a nutritionist if I wanted to. Yeah. And I mean, that that's a, almost the exact same argument that you're presenting. And it's confusing if you're a consumer and most people don't dedicate the time and energy to researching this in the way that they should. So. I totally agree. I mean, and I always tell people that, you know, you have to ask the hard questions and don't feel like you're offending a physician. If you're offending the physician and they're not comfortable talking about their credentials, then maybe they need to relook at their credentials. Yeah. Or uh, that's your cue to leave tread marks as you're getting exactly. out of there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I always tell people and in majority of the people that I see are actually word of mouth. And it's really neat being sure. in this position where I have people that will come in and they say, hey, you operate on this person, this person, this person. I mean, Denver is such a small community. I mean, it's it's amazing. I'll be out and people will be like, oh, yeah, you just did surgery on, you know, this, my you know, two of my friends, what have you. I tell even these people, okay, you know someone that's already been operated on me. You know the results. You've seen the results firsthand. I still encourage you to check me out. Look at my background. Investigate who I am. That way when you come in, you know I am not hiding anything because I'm not. You know, I'm the real deal. And you know, I, I think all physicians should should rise to that level. But unfortunately, if even a few of my colleagues in town uh, call themselves, quote, cosmetic dermatologist, which is total nonsense because they have no dermatology training whatsoever. Okay. They, they really like to blur the lines. And it, it's really, it's outright deception. Hmm. It's outright deception. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not, I rotated on neurosurgery when I was in the back of the Cleveland Clinic. Wow. But guess what? I'm not a neurosurgeon. No, no. Okay? I'm not an OBGYN. I'm not anything other than a, than a plastic surgeon. I'm, I'm also trained in general surgery, but I don't even call myself a general surgeon because I don't practice it. Yeah. I practice plas plastic surgery. I asked this question to a tattoo artist, mm -hmm. and so the, it's, it's going to be the same question, but I would call it with higher stakes. I asked him was he nervous the first time he tattooed like a live person, <laughs> you know, like, like a real person, putting ink to skin that's going to be there permanently. What was it like the first time you actually like made an incision into someone? Was it nerve wracking? What What was the experience like? I was scared shitless. I bet. Yeah. I mean, you're you know, 
here's the thing it just and just so anyone realizes um when we go through residence we actually we've already actually done a lot of that so i had a resident you know chief resident clinic and so forth so i was i was operating on my own before i even even exited yeah of course but i'll tell you what when the when the net's been pulled from you when you when you actually enter practice and you don't have a you're not you're you're out there operating bare yeah, it's really I, – I used to not sleep. I remember the first couple of years, I would do a case, and, and in my mind, I'd run it through. Oh, should I have closed a different way? Should I have used a different suture? Was the incision too long or blah, 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 Now, do I still worry? Heck, yeah. I just operated on a friend of mine's wife this past week, yeah. and I didn't sleep very well. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, I'll tell you, I still, I still get nerves. And, and I'll tell you what, any surgeon that doesn't get nervous really should probably stop <laughs> practicing right? right i mean it's like any actor if you talk to most actors they still get nervous okay oh, yeah. because you're always trying to perfect your craft and that's essentially what it, what this is is it's, it's a craft you yeah. know it's it's a very high level one with you know consequences very high level consequences if i if i don't execute you know perfectly but i take what i do very very seriously i mean i realize that uh you know the only thing that's predictable about tissue is the fact that it's relatively unpredictable mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's very humbling. It's very humbling what I do. But at the same time, you know, I, I strive for perfection. And I, I tell my patients, you know, I don't, you know, I, I can't guarantee you perfection because I never guarantee anything. But what I can guarantee you is I'm going to give you 100% of my, my effort and my experience, my expertise. Right. It's exactly what I tell people before they do a public speaking engagement. You're nervous because you care. Exactly right. I mean, exactly. that's... Oh, I, get, I do a lot of public speaking and tell you... Before it, I am. My hands are sweaty. Oh, I mean, yeah. funny thing is, I go up on stage and all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh, this is cool." Yeah, I feel I feel comfortable, and that's. I think most public speakers are. Oh yeah, you know. It's well, once crazy. you're into it, you're just in it. Yeah, it's and, fun. You know, I had a friend who he used to play football, and I said, "Were you nervous before the game?" He goes, "Just unquestionably, just awful." He said, yeah. "And you're nervous till you hit someone." <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and then you feel a little better. Exactly, but uh, well, I'll tell you what. I uh, I don't want to take any more of your time. You've been very generous with it, and this has been an enormously enlightening conversation for me. And I mean, I I asked you some pointed questions, and your thought and your care and your level of conscientiousness in answering them is just uh, very admirable and much appreciated. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I, I love uh, I love being able to do this type of thing. So before we get out of here, uh, we do do plugs. Okay. So feel free to plug uh, anything you want. Where can we find your book? Where can we find your practice, your blog? Anything you want, please plug it now. Sure. My first book, Beauty in the Business, is available on Amazon. My second book, Eat, Drink, Heal, The Art and Science of Surgical Nutrition, should be out in about a month, and it will be available on Amazon as well, too. My website is at beautybybuford.com. And if you want to reach me personally, you're welcome to email me. It's, it's drbuford, so Dr. Buford, at beautybybuford.com. I'll tell you what, just given the, the way this interview unfolded, I, I would highly recommend that. And we'll have links to everything on the companion blog piece. So uh, continued success to you, Dr. Buford. Thank you. My pleasure. What a great dude. Episode 98 of the John of All Trades podcast has come to a close. Big thanks to Dr. Gregory Buford for taking some time out of his day. Chat with me about what he does and how he does it. So check out beautybybuford.com. Everything's on the companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us. That's J O N of all trades.us find us on social media facebook twitter snapchat pinterest all j-o-a-t pod we're on itunes we're on stitcher this is too many plugs but there's more coming our sponsor is four degrees the number four d-e-g-r-e.es will provide you all of the solutions that you could possibly need to conduct an online campaign no matter who you're trying to reach four degrees will do it not only efficiently 
but cost-effectively. They know all the tools, they have great staff, and they're just incredible at reaching the people who need to hear your message. So, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. And we're back next week with episode 99, another great show coming right at you. Episode previews are on Facebook, J-O-A-T pod there. And then we're just two weeks away from the big 100th episode where I go behind the mic and I get interviewed by someone else. That's right. Someone else is going to be cross-examining me for a change. Look forward to that. So until I see you next week and then two weeks from now, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.